Welcome to the LHA Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit lhachurch.com. If you have your Bibles with you today, if you'll take them out, and let's go together to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is where we're going to spend our time together today. Once you found it, you uh, might hold that place, and we're going to work our way there in just a few moments. You know, the Bible is a history lesson. It is a live and interactive history lesson where we see God's grace, we see his mercy, we see God's love as it begins to mold and it begins to shape the lives of God's creation, bringing us to the place where we begin to walk in the plan, the purpose, and the destiny that God has created for us. It is a picture of how God changes our identity to enable us to fill the incredible destiny that he has designed for us even before time began. Last week as we walked through the word together, we saw how that God changed the names of Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, and the apostle Peter, because he had to change their identity so their identity would line up with the destiny that he had for them. The incredible life that he had planned for them could not be fulfilled found in their present identity. It's kind of like taking someone who is known and has a reputation of being a thief, possibly a bank robber, and putting them in as the president of the bank. How many of you know that probably just won't work? Probably not the best plan and the best idea. What we find in the Bible is our God is a creative God, and there's nothing. Somebody say nothing. nothing. There's nothing that is too hard for him to accomplish. So the reality is if God needs to get you and I somewhere, but we can't get there like we are, our God is strong enough and mighty enough and creative enough. God is able to rewrite the story of our lives to get us from where we are and where we've been to the place he wants us to be. I'm so thankful to know he's rewriting my story. He's rewriting who I've always been. He's rewriting my past and giving me a future. One of the great ways we see it in motion is when he redeems us from our life of sin. And not only does Christ redeem us, but the Bible tells us that he transforms us. We find his plan and his ultimate destiny for you and me is to get us to a place one day called heaven where we're going to be there with him for all eternity. But the Bible teaches us he can't get us there to be with him like we are. We need the miracle of salvation. We need the miracle of his grace. And it's the work of salvation and his motherless grace that changes our identity. Once we were lost, but now we are found. Once we are away from Christ, but now, as we read last week, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here, the Bible says. That's the identity change that needs to take place for me to reach my ultimate destiny of heaven with him. What we find is that God brings about an incredible miracle that is able to fulfill the plan and the purpose that he has for our lives. This morning I want to talk with you for a few minutes about something we don't often talk about. In fact, as I was thinking back over this year, uh, I've been in full-time ministry for 30 years. And as I thought back over the 30 years, I don't know, honestly, that I've ever preached a sermon like this one this morning. The Holy Spirit has been, for several weeks, speaking to my heart in this direction, and this morning, I want to take some time to talk about this. You know, once we've received, as we looked at last week, the new identity, 
that we receive in Christ, and we're heading towards, we're on a journey heading towards our destiny in Christ, what happens if we start in the middle of the journey acting like our old self? What happens if we start acting like our old identity? What happens in the middle of the journey if we sin? How does God view that? How does that affect our identity and the destiny that God has so mercifully created in our lives? What do we do with it? One of the examples we see in Scripture is that we talked last week about how God changed uh, Peter. which His name was Simon, changed it to Peter. In fact, if you look with me, Matthew 16, verses 17 and 18, we find this example. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, now, now I say that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the power of hell will not conquer it. Friend, this is Peter's moment. Jesus is changing his name from Simon to Peter. He's changing his identity from one who is unstable and undependable to a man that's a rock, steady and sure. We skip forward a little bit in history and we find that just before the crucifixion, Jesus speaks some prophetic words regarding Peter. It's actually the words that record Peter's denial of Christ. Matthew 26, if you have your Bibles and you want to go there, Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35. Matthew 26, 31 to 35. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, notice he didn't say Simon. He has a new identity. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to deny you, I will never disown you. All the other disciples said the same. Have you ever made some bold statements with God and found a moment of failure in regard to those moments? Let's jump ahead a little bit farther in that same chapter, Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75, and we find the fulfillment of Christ's words regarding Peter. What's happened is they've come, They've carried Jesus away, taking him away, and they are in the process of preparing him for the crucifixion. These words, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. 
Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So what do we do with sin? If we sin, is our destiny thrown on the scrap pile? If we sin, are we finished when it comes to the plan and the purpose of God for our lives? Does the devil win? No. Look at the words of 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Let me just stop right there for a minute. God's purpose is that we do not sin. God's plan is that we do not sin. I'm going to repeat that probably a couple more times. It doesn't matter what's popular. It doesn't matter what man's opinion is. It doesn't matter what things are going on around us. God's plan is that we do not sin. But notice these words. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. I'm so glad to know the devil doesn't have the final word. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When it comes to sin, there are many who will Use the thought and the phrase, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. They use the thought process, this is sin and somehow sin is unavoidable and that we all sin and we might as well just surrender to the fact we're all human and we just sin. There are those who also believe the thought, well, I know that he will forgive me. So if I go ahead and give in, if I yield to sin, I know that he will forgive me. But my friend, I want to remind you today that sin is not a game. Sin is not light. Sin is not frivolous. Our humanity, my humanity, my weaknesses is no excuse for sin. Sin is against God. Sin is against everything that God stands for. We often use Peter as our example. But I want you to notice something in the passage in Matthew 26 when Peter denied that he knew Christ. When the revelation came of what he had done, you'll notice the words of Matthew 26 and verse 75. He went away and he wept bitterly. This was not a moment of Oops, oh my. The Bible says when the revelation came of what he had done, he went out and he wept with bitter tears. John wrote the words, we should not sin. Why? Because sin is not the characteristic of a new creation. Actually, sin is the characteristic of our old self. But what do we do when we find ourselves like Peter? What do we do when we find ourselves people of destiny and yet we have sinned? If you'll take out your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 51. That's where we're headed. I shared with you earlier today. That's where we're heading, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, this morning I, 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 I want the scriptures today to speak for themselves. So I'm going to share a lot of passages with you today. Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. According, ooh, these are powerful words. According to your unfailing love. And according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict. And you are justified when you judge. I want to make notice of something right there at that point. Be careful of sin, my friend. Be careful of sin because though, though forgiveness will come, though his great mercy and compassion comes, it does not mean there won't be consequences for our sin. We don't have time. To, today, there's not time to go through this entire story, but what you're going to find in a few minutes as we look at the life of David, mercy came. Oh, but the consequences were heavy. Friends, stay away from sin. Sin is not a game. Sin is not a fun thing. Sin will cost you dearly. Sin will bring things in your life and it will start an avalanche of events in your life that you won't have the ability to stop it or contain it. Let's go on in the word. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Here's what we find in Psalm 51. This is written, this is a psalm of David, the king of God's people, the man that God had declared he is a man after my own heart. He was a man of destiny with no doubt. It was God who used the prophet Samuel to handpick David to be the king of Israel. Yet we find in Psalm 51, David is a broken man. He's a penitent man. He is a flawed masterpiece. He liked Peter. He had a serious flaw that could have doomed him. Psalm 51 tells us about the sin that almost wrecked him. And it helps us and it instructs us of an example of how to repent of our own wrongs. You might ask what sin did David commit? The Bible tells us that he went out one night on the roof of the palace. It was an evening he went to be outside. And while he was outside, he looked over and saw a woman bathing at her home. The Bible says he was enticed by her and he sent for people to come and said, Who is that woman? They said, That is Bathsheba. She is the she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Why is that important? Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty warriors, one of his mighty fighting men. They were like his bodyguards. They were his right-hand people. When David went into a battle, his mighty fighting men would have been right there with David. 
as the king. He had all authority. He sent men and had her brought to him. He committed adultery with her. After he's committed adultery, he sends her back home. Later to only find out that she is now pregnant with his child. So David, understanding the ramifications of what he's done, he tries to take matters into his own hands, tries to cover it up, tries to do so with Uriah, brings Uriah home from the battle and says, hey, I want you to go home. I want you to put your feet up. I want you to be with your wife, sleep with your wife. Have a few days of rest and go back. He thinks, if I can get him to come home and sleep with his wife, then when the pregnancy comes, nobody will think anything about it. The problem was Uriah the Hittite was a godly man and a man of loyalty. And Uriah said, I will not go home while the rest of my brothers are out in the field doing battle. I won't go home. And the Bible says he laid outside slept with the other people, he would not go home and be with his wife. And so David thought, oh, goodness, he's not going to do it. What am I going to do? David brought him in. David got him drunk and said, maybe if I get him drunk and he's uh, so wiped out in his mind he can't figure out what he's doing, then I can send him home. He'll sleep with his wife and the problem be solved. He brought him in, got him drunk, sent him out. He still wouldn't go home. So David exhausted everything he knew to do. He brings Joab in, who's the head of the army, and he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put Uriah the Hittite in a place where in battle he is for sure going to be killed and take him out. They get in and they're pressing in on the enemy and all of a sudden all the other soldiers pull back and Uriah the Hittite is killed. David does everything he can to try to cover his guilt. It is then that David comes to a breaking point. He has sinned by breaking the commandment not to commit adultery, murder, lie, steal, coveting his neighbor's wife. One sin led David to breaking five of the Ten Commandments. You will notice as you have time to read through these passages, David was willing to to leave everything as they were, to cover up his sin, thinking nobody will know. But I want you to listen to me for a few minutes. God was not willing. God had placed too high of a call to let him reside in the pit. God had brought him out of that place God had called him, God had destined him, and God was not willing to leave David in that place of his own consequences. And so God began to put things in motion that would force the issue of repentance to bring David back around to him. Listen, my friend, God will not permit in our lives permanent disobedience in the life of a person he's instilled a new life in. David thought everything's secure, but then God began to speak to the prophet by the name of Nathan. God sent Nathan to David because David, like us, would not own up to his own wrong. Therefore, God brought the issue to light. This passage in Psalm 51 is the result after Nathan has come to him and has exposed. David knows now, and I'm not the only one that knows, God knows what I've done. Psalm 51 is the story of a broken man walking down a road of repentance, and it's a road of restoration with God. It is here in this passage that we find the example for us. If we sin, how to approach the God of our great destiny. I want you to notice we're going to walk through the majority of this passage together this morning. What we find now in this passage is David's prayer for God's help. And it begins with three different requests from David to the Lord. Verse number one, we find this. It's a prayer for mercy. It's a prayer for mercy. Have mercy on me, oh God. Mercy is getting what we don't deserve. Grace 
is not getting what we do deserve. Yet even in our wrong choices, God cares for us. And even when our hearts do wrong, our love for him may fail, but God's love for us will never fail. When we are unfaithful, yet he will remain faithful. This is a prayer of mercy, a prayer of God. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I've let you down. I've made the wrong choice. It's a prayer of brokenness, a prayer of humility, a prayer that is filled with shame. As he declares, have mercy on me, O God. It was God who picked us up from our pit, our place of sin, and it is God who brought us into his marvelous light and his love and his plan, and the prayer for mercy comes as we have transgressed his law, we have transgressed his love, we have transgressed his grace. He goes on from the prayer of mercy and begins to pray a prayer of removal or deletion. Notice in the passage, he says, blot out, blot out my transgressions. My friend, sin will leave an indelible mark on your life and my life. Not only will it leave a mark on us, it will leave a mark on those who are around us. Sin stains our lives. Sin leaves a mark that no man can remove. Any of you who've lived any length of time, you know there are times when we will stain a garment. And no matter how many times you may wash it, and no matter how many chemicals you may put on it to remove and lift the stain, no matter how hard you scrub it, you can't get the stain out. That's the way that sin works. Sin leaves a stain that no amount of good works, no amount of good thinking, no amount of good resolutions, no amount of changing things will get the stain out of our life. David prays the prayer, God, take away the stain. God, remove the stain from me. Friends, I want to declare to you today that just as verse 1 says, he's a God of great compassion. And it is great compassion. He can blot out. He can blot out our transgressions from his book of remembrance. God, man may not be able to get the stain out, but God, God can get the stain out. God can wash it out of your life. God can remove it from your life. Listen to the words of Isaiah 1 and 18. It says, come now, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. In Psalm 51 and verse 9, David prayed the prayer, Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Have you ever had a stain you tried to clean up? You get a little mark. I mentioned this last week. You get a little mark about this big. And you think, well, I'll put this chemical on it, and I'll rub it, and I'll get it all out. And all we do, you can take something that's a small dot of a stain, and you start working on it. And when you get done, the stain's this big. Isn't that the way we do with our lives? Isn't that what David did? David had this stain, and David said, oh, I'll take care of it. I can clean this up. And in the end of David's cleaning up, he's committed all these other sins as well, and Uriah the Hittite now is dead. If you try to resolve your sin, you're only going to make a bigger mess. You think, I can deal with it. I can handle this. Friend, if we could handle it, we wouldn't be where we are today. What is the solution? We need God to blot it out. You know what happens when you blot it out? You put it on and you just lay a cloth on it and it's drawn out of the fabric into something new. That's what God does in our lives. He blots it out. He draws the iniquity. He draws the shame. He draws the impurities out of our lives. Blot out my transgressions, David prayed. He continues on in verse 2. Now he's praying a prayer of cleansing. 
Notice the words in verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me. Wash me. My friend, when we sin, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That advocate pleads our case before the heavenly throne. David prays the, prays the prayer, oh God, cleanse me. My sin has dirtied my life. God, will you wash me? God, will you make me clean? Wash away the stain the sin has left behind. Hear me. You cannot sin. I cannot sin without being, there being a residual. The good news for you and I are the words of 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin to him. He is faithful. Can you say he's faithful? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Notice verse 7 there in Psalm 51. Cleanse me, David prays. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hyssop was used in that day for its medicinal purposes. It worked like a, an antibiotic, a, a cleansing agent to bring about cleansing and health and wholeness. And David knows, cleanse me with hyssop. It, it like a... You know, everybody runs around today hand sanitizer on everything. We're trying to kill all the germs. David says, cleanse me with something that will wash away all the germs, if you will, of my sin and the parasites of my sin. God, would you want, God, I don't want it just covered up. I pray you'll go below the surface and cleanse me and wash me and make me clean. When we sin, it's his cleansing work and it's his cleansing power that we need in our lives. Listen to me for a moment. It's not a change of mind that you need. But it's a washing and a cleansing on his part that we need. So David's prayer as we walk through the passage, we find that David's prayer leads him out of this place of brokenness. And there's light at the end of the tunnel. Leads him out of a place of brokenness towards a future that God has for him. Repentance leads us away from our failures and repentance leads us towards God's plan for our future. There is a future beyond our sin. It's found in repentance. It's not just remorse. It's not another resolution in our lives. It's not a promise, not a plan. It's only repentance. Nothing short of repentance will work. It's only repentance that brings us to a place of restoration and a future. Notice the words in verse 10 there in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew, some of your translations will say a steadfast spirit. One translation says a loyal spirit within me. This is a work that only God can do. It's only God by his grace that can bring a cleansing to our hearts. We can try to change our lives, but only he can change our hearts. Why is that important? It's because the heart is the center of it all. The heart is the core of who we are. No wonder he prayed the prayer, create in me a clean heart. Because if my heart will be clean, my life will be clean. Take away my contamination. Take away my sin, my disobedience, and God give me a pure heart. He says renew a loyal. Man, that's, that's, a, that's a really big word. Renew a loyal or steadfast spirit within me. When my conscience is clean, when my spiritual heart has been purified, then I can move forward. I fall down. But it's the grace of God that picks me back up again. 
God, give me a loyal. God, give me a consistent and steadfast spirit. God, I want a loyal spirit that will serve you with consistency. Change me is his prayer. Renew me. Friend, this is not a passing prayer as, we, as David was running through the routine of his life. This is a prayer in brokenness. It's a prayer of crying out for the mercy of God. Notice verse 11, he says, do not cast me from your presence. If you've known God's presence before, you know how that the spirit of sin brings a separation. David's prayer was, God, I don't want to be distant from you. I have known your presence. I have known, God, what it is to be with you. God, don't banish me from your presence. God, I want to feel your presence again in my life. I want to be where you are. I need that soothing. I need that healing balm that comes, God, from being with you. I can have all kinds of other people around me, but nobody compares, God, to being with you. Notice in verse 11, he continues, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. God, don't take your abiding presence from my life. God, don't take the comforter from me. God, don't take the guide, the one who comes along beside me. Please, God, don't take him from my life. God's Spirit is life. His spirit is the essence of God living inside of us. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We come to church often, we say, I want to be in the presence of God. I want to tell you, this room is not, God's presence is not housed and encased in this room. When the holy presence of God comes on a Sunday morning in our times of gathering, he comes, he comes with you. Hmm. No wonder we need to be in right relationship with him before we get to the house because when we do, he comes with us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God gets no glory out of filling an empty uh, wooden vessel like this, but God gets all glory when he fills the temple that he's redeemed, that he's washed, that he's made new. God gets glory when his spirit resides in us. Our life is the place where God's spirit resides and David says, please don't take your holy presence from me. Verse 12, he continues to pray, restore to me the joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore the joy of salvation. He refers in verse 8, let the bones that you've crushed, let them rejoice. Listen, my friend, when you and I are caught in a season of sin and God in his grace begins to reveal the sin to bring us to repentance, it's not an easy place. I don't know if you have ever broken a bone but when you're in pain like that, it doesn't matter. Anything else doesn't matter. You are completely engulfed in the pain that you're going through. Nothing else matters. I'm lost in this pain. And David says in the midst of his pain as he's praying, God, would you restore? Would you take the pain of my sin? Would you take the pain of what I'm in and going through today? And would you restore the joy of your salvation to my life. God, would you restore? Would you restore? You see, joy vanishes in the season of sin. Joy in the Lord is not characterizing our lives when we're under the weight and the burden of sin because sin is a hard taskmaster. Sin is heavy. Sin is burdensome. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 15 says, The way of a transgressor is hard. David's prayer is this, Lord, lift the burden. 
God, would you bring a new season of joy into my life? Would you restore to me the joy that comes with forgiveness? Would you restore to me the joy that comes when my debt has been paid and my right, excuse me, my wrong has been made right, my sin? Bring the joy that comes when my sin is cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Bring the joy that comes when my sin stain has been made white as snow. Lord, restore to me the joy, the joy, that joy that comes from you in forgiveness. You may remember the joy that came into your heart and life at salvation. How the load and the burden was lifted. I remember in specific my my uncle passed away several years ago. For the majority of my life, my uncle didn't serve the Lord. He knew about the Lord, but he didn't serve the Lord. I will never forget as long as I live walking into his hospital room after he had come to know the Lord. I want to tell you, I, I, I am not... I'm not exaggerating. When I walked in, he had a brand new countenance on his face. He was a changed man. I mean, he didn't even have to say anything. You knew he was a changed man just because you could see it. This joy had come into his life. There was a change, and the change didn't come from the outside in. The change, it was like a fountain that was bubbling up inside of him. And when you walked into the room, it came out. It came out in his words. It came out in the countenance on his face. You see, when you've got the joy of the Lord inside, my friend, you can't contain it. That's why when you get saved, what's the first thing you do? I got to tell somebody. I got to let somebody know. I got to tell somebody what Jesus has done for me. It's the joy. It's the joy that comes from salvation. But friend, if we try to harbor sin, if we try to take care of ourselves, if we say, I can fix this, friend, we can't fix it. And all we're going to find is the joy of salvation will begin to vanish in our life. David prays, restore to me the joy that comes from salvation. Look at verse 12. He says this, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, would you grant me a willing spirit to serve you? God, will you give me a willing spirit to serve you without compulsion, but from love for you? God, would you give me a heart that is ready, a heart that is excited, if you will, to please you. Would you give me a willing heart that I live for you and I honor you with all my life? It will be the joy. It won't be my burden. It will be my joy that you give. Grant me a willing heart. Verse 13, he continues on, then I will teach transgressors your ways. So that sinners will turn back to you. Boy, the, have you noticed that the prayer is changing as we're progressing? Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. God, blot out my transgressions. I have failed you. I've miserably failed you. And now we're into verse 13. He begins to pray as the miracle of forgiveness is coming through repentance. He says, if you'll do, then I'll teach transgressors your ways. He was the transgressor in verse 1. David says, I don't want my pain to be lost and without value. May others learn from my mistakes. May my life be an example of what your grace can do. Let my life be an instrument to help others find the way. David will say, may my life be a light to shine forth and tell others about your mercy and your grace. I won't be silent, but I'll tell others about the power, about the power, about the power of your forgiveness. I'll tell others where I've been, and I'll tell them where you're taking me. You know what we often do? We often, 
We often hide our sin, don't we? We don't want anybody to know. We have the idea, I want you to think that I am the epitome of perfection. That's probably the biggest lie we've ever told. You know when I'll be the epitome of perfection? When I get to heaven. <laughs> now listen, I am not advocating that you need to get on Facebook today and tell everybody in Facebook world everything you've ever done wrong. But I do think there's some miracles that can come as we say to people, you know where I've been? Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you about his grace. Let me tell you about his mercy. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about his love in action because here's where I've been and here's where he's taking me. <laughs> David said, I'll teach transgressors your ways. I will tell sinners to turn back to you. What might we tell them? We might tell them forgiveness comes through repentance. We might tell them that God doesn't want any outward works of religion. God is not looking for works to bring about a change in our hearts. In fact, look at verses 16 and 17 in Psalm 51. You do not... David's praying to God, you do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Friend, when our hearts give in to sin, we must approach it with David's example. There is grace, there is mercy for the repentant of heart. Your destiny is not placed on the scrap pile and left never to be remembered again. We can often have the mindset that God takes us out of our place in destiny and just we have this back and forth thing. I'm in destiny and I'm out of destiny. I'm in destiny and I'm out of destiny. Often I think we think God gives up on us a whole lot quicker than I believe God really gives up on us. We don't give grace its due. We don't give grace its work in our lives. We think it's like flipping a switch off. I'm with Jesus, I'm without Jesus. I'm with Jesus, I'm without Jesus. Today I am, today I'm not. Today I am, today I'm not. And we're back and forth all the time. Listen, my friend, he does have grace that is sufficient for my life. There is a process. It's called repentance. It's coming to God and saying, God, I blew it. God, I messed up. God, I made a big mistake. God, and I pray today for your mercy. But you'll find that David, you can't tell the story without telling the whole story. I encourage you to take time to read this story of David's life. There were untold consequences that came from the sin. God forgives. but God does sometimes let us walk through the consequences. He's God. I could stand here today and I could say, well, this is why God does it and that's why God does it. I don't always know why God does it, but I do know he does it. I wonder if it's not to help us from not revisiting that place again. I wonder if what we think is a difficult thing really is his grace in action because it reminds me of where I was and I don't want that pain in my life again. I don't want to go back and visit that thing again. I don't want to live there again. I, don't, I wonder if it's a thorn in my flesh that keeps me from going back to that place again. I, I don't know. But I do know this. There were consequences that David walked through 
in this life. And friend, they weren't liked. I think it underscores the importance of our life. There will always be consequences to sin in our life. You can't escape it. You can't avoid it. You can't evade it. I can't. There are consequences. But I will tell you, there's mercy. There's mercy in the process. There's mercy in the process. Mercy. Mercy is when I can't do anything about it. Mercy is when it's out of control. Mercy is when I can't fix it. Mercy is when life is running rampant. I can't get it stopped. Mercy says, oh God, I've got to have your help. Mercy is I can't, I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. God, I can't be enough and do enough. God, I need, I need mercy. And mercy comes. You'll find later after David's life, you'll find the testimony that was given about David. They said again, David is a man after God's own heart. It's only God. You see, that's the miracle of grace and mercy. It's only a God who can take blown failures and still bring life. It is God who can take brokenness and bring wholeness out of it. It's God that can take bad and bring good. It's God that takes sickness and bring healing. It's God who can take mistakes and bring righteousness out of it. That's the work that God does in repentance. That's the kind of God he is. Oh, we ought to be quick. We ought to be quick to run to him. We ought to be quick to say, oh, God, have mercy. Friend, don't harbor it. Run to him. Run to him. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. That's his work. That's his work. That's his work. Holy Father, right now in the name of Jesus. Right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come to you, Lord, right now. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, right now, we come to you right now, Heavenly Father. Lord, I ask you right now in this moment, God, as we are here right now together in this place, God, you know us, you know us by name, God, you know my life. God, you know everything about me. God, there's nothing about Jerry. There's nothing about any of us here that is hidden from your sight. Oh, God. Oh, God, we, we find solace today in who you are. We find solace in your grace. We find solace in your mercy. We find grace in the time of need. Though our sin has stained our life through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be made whole. Holy Father. Holy Father. Holy Father, Holy Father, with your heads bowed all across the room, I've been, for two days I've been asking God, God, how do I close this time? How do I close this time? I think I have some direction from the Lord. As your heads are bowed, I'm going to read over us the prayer of David. My friend, today, if you've come to this church building and you, you're like David, there's been sin in your life and you've been trying to fix it. You've thought, if I can just change my actions, if I can just, if I get rid of the, the source of the sin, everything will be okay. If I can change jobs, if I can change houses, if I can change internet providers, if I can change this situation, if I can change, if I can get moved to another department at work. If, friend, it's not a change in our ability that's going to get it. It's only His mercy. So as I read these words today, today if you 
struggling there, sin, I pray that these words will become a prayer over your heart. Have mercy, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Friend, right where you're at with your heads bowed, this is a moment between you and God right now all across this room. No matter our position, our time in the church, no matter our stature, no matter anything about us, I'm just going to ask all across the house right now in this moment, would you pray a prayer with me? Oh, God, have mercy. I'm just going to lead us through this prayer. And right where you're at, you just pray this prayer. Oh, God, today, Lord, we ask that you will have mercy upon our lives. God, in your unfailing love, in your great mercy and compassion, God, I ask you today, have mercy on my life. Have mercy on my heart. Have mercy on my soul. Have mercy upon us. Would you pray now with me a cleansing prayer? God, wash me and make me clean. God, would you just wash us in this room today? Wash us in our hearts. Wash me and make me clean. Wash me like medicine and cleanse me. God, would you purify my heart? Wash me. God, I can't get the stain out. God, would you blot out my transgressions? God, would you have mercy upon my life? I pray today mercy will rewrite the story of my life. Cleanse me, oh God. Wash me. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, no parts dark in my life. Oh, God, I pray your cleansing power will go to every crevice and every crack in my life. I pray your cleansing power will go to every spot, every area of my spiritual heart. God, I ask in the name of Jesus from the top of my head all the way to the soles of my feet, I pray for your cleansing power. Cleanse me. Cleanse me, cleanse me and wash me. Cleanse me, wash my mind, wash my spirit. Wash me, Lord, that I might be clean. Wash me that I might be clean. Hide my sin, Lord, into the sea of forgetfulness. Now, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus you would restore the joy of salvation. Friends all across the room, would you just ask him, Lord, restore the joy of salvation. Restore the joy of forgiveness in our life. Restore to us the joy that comes from the miracle of forgiveness. 
Let the power of grace bring joy. Bring a lift in my step. Bring a lifting to my head. If my head and my vision have been downcast because the weight I've been carrying, Lord, would you lift the weights off our shoulders? I pray in the name of Jesus, spiritually we'll begin to stand straight again. When our backs are bent over with the cares and the guilt and the shame of our past, Lord, lift the burden, I pray. Restore, restore the joy of your salvation. Now, Father, we pray today that you will give us a willing spirit. A willing spirit to serve you with consistency. Would you pray that prayer with me all across the house this morning? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, give me a willing spirit to faithfully, consistently walk in your ways. Lord, walk in your paths. Walk in your purpose. Walk in your destiny. God, let it not be out of compulsion. Give me a willing spirit. Not of guilt. Not out of... Uh, duty, not out of ritual. Give me a willing spirit. A willing spirit to serve you. Now, friends, let's pray together. God, would you give my life a testimony? A testimony of what you've done. David said, Then I'll tell others about you. Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, we'll not hide where we've been. I pray we'll not hide what our past has been. But I pray that our life will be a living testimony of your grace and your mercy. Our lives will be a living testimony of your grace and your power to forgive and to cleanse. Your grace and your power to restore us and make us new. Father, I just ask you today... I pray the spirit of repentance, God, will characterize our lives. God, I can't fix the past. All I can do is rely on you. God, I don't need today what any person can do for me. I need only what you can do for me. God, we pray along with David. Change me. And make me more like you, I pray. Father, I depend upon it. I'm counting on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to close with an exhortation to you this morning. It's the words of 1 John 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm so thankful for his mercy today, aren't you? He's called us to be a people of destiny. Friends, if there's sometimes, just honestly, if you fall, you trip up, don't give up. Look up. <laughs> Look up because his grace is sufficient. Father, I ask you today for your best, best blessings on these incredible people. Thank you, Father, for your presence that's been here today. Thank you for the change that you've made in our lives and you are continually, progressively changing us from glory to glory it happens because your mercies are new and fresh every morning great is your faithfulness oh god 
unto us. I pray your best blessings today upon them. May they walk in the joy that comes from you. I pray in the name of Jesus, I pray the spirit of vibrancy and vitality to characterize their life. I pray the spirit of joy, unspeakable joy, will flow out of their life. Father, I speak the word of blessing over them that their life will be like a fountain that is constantly bubbling up the praises of God and the faithfulness of God. I pray, Father, you'll go with them. Grant them the opportunities to be a living testimony of what you can do. Lord, may grace always be sufficient. May grace carry us through our times of trial and tribulation. Lord, until that one day, until that one day, Lord, this is what it's all about, that one day when we see you face to face and we say there it's been worth it all, if I had it to do all over again, I'd serve Jesus every day of my life. Thank you, Father, for the hope we have in you. Bless these people now, I ask. Keep them safe. In Christ's name I pray. And all of God's people said, amen Amen and amen. Bless you today. May the joy of the Lord always be your strength. God bless you. Have a great day today.